Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Legendary Leaders. Question for all of you. What do you do at work to keep yourself fresh, engaged, developing great ideas while learning literally every day? And that in an environment that feels pretty tough and challenging. Anything you do? Perhaps you are a leader and that's exactly what you want to achieve and create in your teams, in your peers, in your managers, whoever it is, in your customers. Well, if you sometimes struggle to do that, well, then my guest for today is going to be probably very, very insightful and helpful for you. Her name is Amanda Squires, and she is the Chief Customer Officer for European Innovation at Accenture. And she helps clients explore the art of the possible to invent new growth futures and cultures for their businesses. Leading teams of specialist innovation practitioners and experts from across the Accenture business, Amanda and her team spend much of her time in the future, uncovering and exploring the human problems that exist in the world that brands must solve to remain relevant and achieve growth. With roles in agencies, consultancies, design firms and NGOs, Amanda's clients and collaborator network is her pride and joy and has been built from solving challenges across a wide portfolio of businesses, industries and brands. And I'm really delighted that we have Amanda here today to talk very practically about how she has been building networks, communities where others cannot just thrive, but really kind of innovate themselves, learn from each other, and become fearless in themselves and with others. We are talking about the concept of fearless teams. Amanda shed some insight into her journey and her story in terms of tackling changes, seeing opportunities for change, sometimes accepting roles that felt literally brave in the moment. So I'm really delighted to introduce Amanda to you in the moment um, for you to get to know her better. But by all means, please do connect with her and you will notice in a moment why it might be so helpful to do so and actually quite a bit of fun. So enjoy today's episode and I can't wait to hear your feedback and see how you have found um, today's conversation. Today we have the wonderful, funny, engaging Amanda Squires with us. I'm saying that because I've known you now for a while. How many years have we been working together and chatting? I think nearly two. At least, huh? Yes, I think nearly two. Yeah. And uh, I promise all of you listeners out there, it will be engaging. You will have a laugh as well, but you will learn a ton um, from Amanda's experience and stories. But you just said to me, this is my first podcast. And there I see you at speaking events, talking to crowds all the time about innovation, change, fearless teams. How come this is your first? I don't know. I've escaped it somehow. No, I mean... um... (laughs) Uh, I really don't know. I I always have a lot to say, but I, perhaps I don't spend enough time sitting down, ordering my thoughts and thinking about how I get the message out there, right? So, uh, yes, it's a first. There's not many firsts when you've uh, been on a long career and a long journey like mm-hmm. I have. So, uh, how exciting. Glad Definitely. it's with you, Kathleen. <laughs> you say that now, Amanda. Let's see. <laughs> I, will, I will do my best uh, for us to have fun here. But I'm really honored that you are here. I had the honor, without going into too much detail, to be working with you for quite a few years and to get to know you a little bit better, in particular as a leader in an organization. And I could learn so much from you as well, which was wonderful. So it was for me a no-brainer to bring you on the show and to say, you know what, you've got to share all of those fantastic insights um, with a wider audience. So thank you for being here. 
Thanks for inviting me to my first podcast. Yeah. Well, let's give the audience a bit of a chance to get to know you better. And as you said, you have had a long career. You have done quite a few things that I call brave things and brave changes as well. Give us a little bit of uh, of an insight into your path that got you to where you are now. Wow. Okay. Where do we start? I think the the pathway started when I really didn't fit into the sort of formal education structures particularly well. You know, I was um, predicting some really good grades for my sort of A-levels and through school, but was always a bit unstructured, excitable and and bombed. Um, so, So spent a few years sort of rethinking education and pathways and it's it really did start then because I was doing sort of arts-based topics. I'm a performer, right? So I did performing arts and English and I you know, played around in that world. But at the same time, I also started dabbling with computer science, which back in the mid-90s, I was the only girl in the class um, and probably the only person in the class not wearing a ski jacket. So it was a real mix. It was a real mix of sort of left and right brain. And so... When I landed out of university and started temping, just to find out what the world of world was world of work was like, I landed in a new media agency, as they were called then, and I think that was pretty seminal in my career because there were some really bright people there doing things that had never been done before. So you know, we were doing things like launching the websites of some of the biggest brands in the world. We were launching shops behind the red button on the remote control of the TV. We did the first mobile web integration back in the day where you had to go on a website and tell this particular mobile phone operator what sports team you liked so that they could then text you an update so you could go on the website to read the update. Like it was it was really clunky, but it was a real sort of discovery period for technology so I guess the people that I met there were really inspiring and it sort of inspired me to carry on going out and find the new stuff that was going on in the world so you know worked in agencies that were at the real peak of e-commerce I've had the privilege of leading a business that represented pretty much all of the really exciting luxury brands in the world Um, taking them online for the first time helping CEOs of large retail fashion brands understand how to use the internet right the way through to now landing in probably the biggest technology consultancy in the world, you know, Accenture. So yeah, it's, there's, there's a newness path through my journey, I think, or a high boredom factor, whatever way you want to decode it, it's one or the other. Well, well, which one is it for you? Which one is it more for you? Is it the boredom or is it the, oh, I need something exciting? I'm a glass half full person today, so it's new, newness. Um, yeah, I just think there's there's always a way to make things better or see it from a different perspective. So, you know, I like client problems. I like helping them understand the art of the possible and really thinking about how to do things in a different way. So you've got to be in the newness, right, to get excited by the possible. So, yeah. I think you commented to me, Kathleen, actually, when you read my LinkedIn profile, it's a real smorgasbord of stuff. Today, in fact, I posted a post about a um, Instagram account that celebrates the sartorial elegance of old people. And they've launched an e-commerce proposition off of the back of it. And I just love things like that. You know, audiences are underrepresented, use of technology, just sort of colliding it together and, and disrupting the market. I think that's really exciting. And before we hit the record button, actually, we were talking about being different and being different consistently. Um, so really <laughs> walking the walk, you know, and uh, I, I really find that astonishing with you. And when I had a look at your LinkedIn profile, I saw you had a banner now on your profile that says, spend your life doing strange things with weird people, which so resonated with me. So, how how do you see yourself in terms of strangeness and being a little bit weird from time to time? 100%. It's like it's my it's my it's my day it's my day job. Strange things comes up in so many different ways, not just my reading list, but some of the problems or challenges we get set by clients are really 
unusual um, and they and they require a really different way of thinking so you can't go to the same thinking or the same sources to get to different answers you have to collide things together and it certainly opens your eyes to the weird and wonderful that's going on in the world and the business world in particular and then I guess I'm not a traditional consultant I can be a bit marmite for some clients if they want someone formal and buttoned up that's definitely not me but I like to think that I'm inclusive and I can have a discussion about what really matters and help clients see a different perspective and and get them excited about solving some of these big meaty challenges in their organization so yeah I, I I dial up the strange and weird I think where appropriate but it's pretty much always there I was I was just about to say and we are going to be talking about approaching clients and really listening to them and taking them on board um, a little bit later however one thing I do really admire about you amongst other things is the authenticity that's consistently there now if I look at your path of changes self-created changes sometimes changes through mergers acquisitions where you might suddenly find yourself in a big corporate environment of a consultancy for example yet you stay truly true to yourself now I do know from the work I'm doing and also my own experiences from the past that it's not always that easy to not try to fit in and to bend yourself out of shape in order to have the sense of belonging you seem to be doing it successfully what or who helps you there ultimately I think business and consulting is about people whatever you boil the meatiest challenge down is it a growth challenge is it a a cost survival challenge whatever it is that you're you're trying to solve as a consultant you have to start with people so I, I I think I just try sometimes to bring a leveler to a conversation quite typically I'll start a conversation with humor or an observation because I think a lot of the time people are scared at using what are really amazing tools to connect with people um, even your surroundings, I'm definitely one of those that don't turn my background mm. off on my video, right? Because you won't believe the amount of conversations I've had with people about either my wallpaper or the weird things I have on my windowsill. And they're interested, they're curious about you and your life and you make connections with people and it breaks down barriers. And I think that sort of gives you permission to be yourself with people and for them to be themselves with you. Now, it doesn't always work like your style and you know with that many people on the planet it's not always going to work your style doesn't always connect with everyone so you do have to be have that sort of eq to know when to dial it down and 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 where it might make somebody feel uncomfortable but um you know there's one there's one fact every day right you, you're turning up to work as you so you know bring your whole self and use the tools that you've got because some of the, some of the sometimes work and some of the challenges we're solving are really tough and you need to lean really lean in on yourself I, I fully agree with that and yet I sometimes wonder as to whether you experience situations where you feel well someone else might not agree with who you are and your style how do you deal with that I tend to try and if I'm going to work on projects and challenges as a consultant I tend to be there at the pitch I don't like to inherit things from other people because I do think it as I, as I said it's a people game so if you're pitching and someone's bought you I think they've made a connection with you it's hard to sort of force yourself into existing relationships or ones where you haven't sort of owned a relationship or a narrative throughout so yeah I tried to make those connections um I did a pitch recently actually um, but I had some really great feedback around connecting with the CEO because we we turned up into a room and none of the tech worked, which as a consultant, you know, it's always the wor worst part of a pitch, right? The first 10 minutes fumbling around trying to get technology to work. But while we were sort of fixing that, we just started and I said, look, let's not worry about this. Let's Let's just kick off and tell some stories and we'll do our case studies by talking about ourselves. So I'll bring some of my best stories to you and tell you why I'm in the room. And I was amazed in the feedback session um, how that resonated, the, C the CEO and this team. 
you know, we, we'd, we'd paid attention to try and entertain them and get them to get to know us rather than sort of bore them and hit them over the head with a lot of PowerPoint slides mm. and sort of put the cognitive load on them to figure out, you know, who we were. So, yeah, I think it's making early connections and investing in relationships would be my go-to plan, I guess. And here it's just another example of you being what I would call fearless. There are individuals who might freak out a little bit in situations like these and, oh, my God, we are not in control of everything. And maybe this insecurity may come across, which is also human. Right. And yet you can stay cool, calm and collected and say, let's focus on those stories. Other people may have this strong belief we need to share 100 pages of PowerPoint in order to be seen as professional uh, and delivering qualitative work. No, we don't need it. So you are fearless in so many small and yet big ways. What's the most fearless thing you have ever done? Oh, wow. Um, I can think of one, but I, yeah, it, it, it jumps into my mind. So it must be true, right? So uh, I worked for a business that through various reasons hadn't really managed the business, the business hadn't been managed very well. And it came to a, a, a point in the business's life cycle where to save the business, it needed a new leader. So um, I was a relatively junior member of the leadership team, always with a big voice, as you can probably imagine, but relatively junior member of the team. But the owners of the business asked me to take the MD role. And I think it's because they, rec- I think they recognize some of that fearlessness. You know, the company had to be traded in very difficult situations with advisors sort of crawling all over the business. We had a group of people who perhaps weren't where well, they were getting a really bad employee experience. And there were some factors around not being able to invest in them, sometimes even not being able to pay their salaries on time. So stepping into an MD role in that situation with some of the experience, quite a lot of the tools and some of the pieces of the experience, but never having to do that in a really high stress environment was really tough. And I sort of muddled through it for a little while. And then I realized that I needed to get help. So I went and found somebody who came and helped me. And quite honestly, when I think about any problems I have today in any of my day to day I remember that experience because I was so exposed but had the had the foresight somehow to go and get help and find somebody who could help elevate me in the things I was really good at and fill in the gaps and the things that I just didn't have an experience of doing and I guess in that period like it's fearless because I had to sit in front of all of our clients and explain the situation of the business mm whilst trying to convince them not to leave the business. I had to sit with 60-odd members of staff and give them a reason to stay and not go and find another job. And I I guess, yeah, I had to step back and think about what the type of boundaries were that I, were gonna, I was going to put around myself to make sure that I could be strong enough to lead through those conditions without sort of dragging myself under, because it, it, it's quite easy to get sucked up in all the, all the craziness. So, yeah, pretty crazy. And that went on for nearly two years. So it was quite high intensity for quite a prolonged period of time. (laughs) Can I stay with this example for a couple of minutes? Because you said I had to put in place quite a few boundaries here and strict boundaries. Can you give us a few examples of what you really needed to ensure or what what you what boundaries you needed to put in place basically yeah i guess when the first one i really remember is when something is tough there's a, there, there can be a tendency to start to try and change the way you communicate and and the way you interact with people because everybody wants a piece of your time you're not always showing up with very good news <laughs> quite often it's the other way around and i've noticed in the past and actually Throughout my career, some people sort of deal with that by really changing their style of how they communicate. And that could be quite stressful. I guess in my experience, I've just lent into my style of communication, which is 
quite normally quite succinct when I write, mm-hmm. quite to the point. Mm-hmm. And it's a careful balance because you can't for some people they they need a slightly different warmer communication style. But I've learned generally in those types of situations, people respect and really, really appreciate transparency. So yeah, I think comm style is a particularly important thing. I don't want to be sitting behind my keyboard worrying about every single word in a comms. You know, I just want to get to the salient point and make sure that people can make decisions and feel empowered to make decisions and perhaps have a bit more of a culture of debate with me rather than waiting for me to constantly tell them stories. So, yeah, I guess that's one that would be one key thing. I guess the other thing is about always remembering the things that really matter. So in you know, in periods of stress within this particular business, we just really focused on culture and environment. And I try not to control too much. There's there's people who have really good ideas who have the fire in their belly and the passion to do um to do something about it. So you need to just empower them and let them do it and and learn from them too and sort of let them take some of the energy. And in a business that can be in distress, that sometimes the tendency is to try and hold on to it or a situation even that's stressful. Um, but actually, I think the fearlessness is sometimes about letting go of some of the bits and and seeing what happens. Now, I got you to know in a way that I say you are fearless, but in a very intentional way. You don't just jump into a decision without thinking about it. You are very reflective, you plan, you think about implications for others as well, and so on and so forth. When you decided to take over that MD role in such a challenging period of time, I don't know if you still remember, but what was your thought process that led you to that choice? Yeah, um, in that particular instance, it was the team and the people. A desire to do the right thing for them. And very closely connected to that, our clients, because because I'd worked really hard to gain the confidence of a lot of those clients mm-hmm. and take them somewhere like online, trading their first e-commerce stores for the first time, you know. And at that time, their minds were blown by this concept, right? Um, I'd worked really hard to do that, so I didn't want to let them down. So uh, loyalty, wanting to do the right thing a belief that there's always an answer. I think um, those three things were all probably swimming around in my mind. It certainly wasn't for a pay rise, I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I shared a conversation today with a good friend of mine about how we make business choices and got to the point that while considering pay, obviously as well, it isn't always the main driver. Yeah, Loyalty indeed values. Um, impact all of these things played a huge role and most importantly you mentioned teams for us it was a real sense of belonging what's the community around there what are they like I believe in that 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 team that I worked with at that period I think was some of the smartest most creative most fearless people I've ever worked with and you know I got I got married quite late. I got married three or four years ago and um, I had some of those people at my wedding. In fact, I have a photo of everywhere I've ever worked, there's someone represented at my wedding. It's quite, quite a lovely thing. But I, I stay in touch with so many of those people because they were so super talented and you sort of feel the need to keep that connectivity, that connection going with such brilliant people. And it seems to have become a part of your DNA as well, connecting people. You Mm. really connect the dots pretty quickly in terms of who could fit with this person and why and how can they create something bigger. It's, to me, often amazing how quickly you operate up here in in your brain and then it works. I have a few examples myself where I think, wow, you connected me to some incredible and inspirational human beings and, you know, more to happen around that. So it's it's brilliant. Um, the reason why I said earlier on, uh, or why I was smiling ever so slightly in terms of um, the reasons why you made this choice and became the MD of that business was because I, I'm also trying to go in a direction where I say, what about you? 
how you are feeling, how you manage stress levels, this challenging period of time. So when you make decisions like these, how much do you listen to yourself, how you are truly feeling, what your intuition is telling you, risks for your well-being, all of these juicy things? I think you know the answer to that. (laughs) But I ask you. (laughs) Well, I guess throughout my career, I thought I've I've done a good job at it. I haven't really had a system or a structure really for thinking about it. But um, I, I've always thought that I did, I've did. i done a good job. Th- there have been some times, as you will know, a bit more recently where it has boiled over. And I have, I can remember the, in fact, the conditions when we first met, I was very stressed and very, and it coincided a bit with, I think, the pandemic. So maybe there were lots of different forces aligning there. But um, I think what I realised was I I really was internalising way too much and taking on too much. So I can remember the first, I think, six months of our journey together. A lot of the conversations was about managing my time to give myself space to think and act and in fact I've got a couple of um, post-it notes on my screen to remind me to do that still to this day because I know it's a bit of a weakness and I I told you as well didn't I recently that I've given up reading business books Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've designated those into the bin but there is one that I do keep going back to which talks about this process of constantly thinking about why am I doing this? How am I going to do it the best that I can? And how do I really pull through and just keep applying sort of systems to my time and my focus? And I guess that's a weakness I'm always going to have. I just have to keep working on it because I do have quite a large capacity for work. I think my colleagues today will testify to that. I can take on more and more and more and more but I, I, I am learning to delegate more and empower people. Um, in my current job, I've sort of restructured and changed a little bit how we operate our leadership team, bringing more people on who I think have the right skills, who are being played in the right position to do a good job. I don't have to make the decision on every single thing that happens in the business. And, you know, making time. Like, I really enjoyed sitting down and making time to put some thoughts together for this talking to you but I had to put it in my diary right I had to say right this is dedicated time to think and Amanda if that works that works yeah everybody needs to find their own way to make sure there is space and time to think what's the book called it's called essentialism yeah I I really enjoyed it I found a um because I work for a business that's very um it, it, it acquires a lot of businesses. So we end up with a lot of founders in our business. Mm. And the journey from founder into a large corporate can be a bit baffling. And it's recommended reading for those founders in our business. And he passed it on to me. And it was, it was yeah, it, it gave me some really good triggers to think about my time and how your role changes, as a, and not just as a leader, but as a practitioner, when you move from small businesses into large corporates or you know, change industries or whatever the change is. And how your role changes as a leader of self. I know it sounds very fluffy and a bit cliche, but man, if it comes back again to the space, right? If you don't make that space to think about how does it land with me? What are my emotions like? How am I regulating those? Does it fit? I, I yeah. know founders coming into big corporations who say, I gave it a year. Doesn't work for me for various reasons. Okay, fine. And now what am I going to do with that? Right, That's important too. It's a really interesting point. In fact, there was a guy you had on your podcast once who you put me in touch with. Yeah. Um, we had a really good chat about this. Um, I forget his name. Uh, I'm just looking at the book. The Floundering Founder is definitely yeah. a book. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. And he um, is a founder. Yeah, we had a really good chat about this because he was looking at his business and his options at that point. And having been through a few acquisitions, I gave him a little bit of advice around, you know, when you're entering a business as an acquisition, quite often the two conversations are about how can we create synergies in our business today? And, you know, one and one equals three and let's let's go and deepen relationships with clients or 
move into a, a new space together. But quite often people are not really thinking about the journey a bit further down where your culture will change as an acquired business and big corporations are really changing all the time. And you need to put some efforts into really thinking about the new stuff that neither of you two have imagined that you could do together a bit further down the line. And no one really has those conversations. And I think it's a real waste in a lot of the acquisition journeys that I've been involved in. Now, I wouldn't say I am in that position, but I just caught myself in terms of as I'm founding a, a different kind of business uh, at the moment myself with a partner, I'm like, have we had this conversation? And in honesty, no. And I wouldn't have even thought about it if you wouldn't have now mentioned it. So the question I'm getting to is, well, how can one even start that conversation if we don't have it necessarily on your radar? <laughs> I think that conversation is about really understanding and it's a little bit hammed at the moment right there's there's loads of businesses out there calling themselves purpose agencies but I think it's really being true to your purpose right if you're a startup founder why did you do it like what does good look like I think we've had this conversation too like for everyone it's not always about I want to be the biggest or I want to grow x percent Sometimes it's a lifestyle change. Sometimes it's a desire to be connected to the most quirky challenges or, or things that give you energy or help you grow as a human. So I think in those businesses, really making sure you stay true to that purpose and making smart decisions along the way and asking your people, like if you're doing it on your own, ask your clients or ask the people in your network about whether or not you're sticking to that, whether or not you're really achieving what you're setting out to do and, and keep, make them keep them you honest. And I think with larger organisations, it's about writing and delivering a really strong purpose, a differentiated purpose, and really putting the effort into helping that really like materialise across your whole organisation. We, as an innovation team, believe that our role is quite important in that. Because what we do is we're constantly looking at the art of the possible for clients and putting opportunity in front of them. And I think the clients who are constantly thinking about their purpose and are clear about the journey ahead know which opportunities they want to get behind. And they also know which ones to kill because it's a distraction or it's, you know, it's, it's, it's additive and they don't have the resources to do it. So I think depending on where you are, if you're a startup or a freelancer, it's using your network and investing in that network to make sure people are giving you feedback all the time to keep you honest. And if you're right the way through to a large organization, it's make smart choices, have really good insight. Like we use foresight a lot in our organization. We, we teach clients to read the signals in human behavior to understand where shifts are going to occur. So um, putting people around you who help you see the art of the possible. Love that expression in itself. See the art of the possible. Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalogue of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on-demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Now, you already talked about your team. You also said, I bring a certain kind of diversity into my team and so on and so forth connecting that to your overall purpose as a leader what do you see as your main purpose for my clients my purpose is to build the right teams of people around them okay so some of my clients find this quite um odd but I read all the inbound new business inquiries into our business um which normally gets 
delegated to the intern or someone right but I'm 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 looking at all every single inquiry that comes in and when I, some of them are CEOs you'll be amazed how many CEOs send fill out forms on a website and want to have a conversation and they're quite, always quite surprised when they get a reply from me but when we talk about it that is my job because who I assemble as a team to solve a challenge will make so so big a difference to the outcome so I want to meet the client I want to understand their culture I want to understand their challenge I want to understand the nuance and then I've got a whole variety of people with different spikes and different specialisms and different ways of working and it's a bit a bit like alchemy it's a bit like which bits do you put together in order to build the strongest team and it's not always industry experience or proximity to the client that gives you really good answers in fact sometimes it's the total opposite you need a completely different brain to rethink a client challenge so a lot of my time with for clients my purpose is to create the right networks around them and their problems in order to help de-risk their futures individually and for their for their businesses and I guess there's a flip side to that from for the people that I lead my purpose is to connect them to the best challenges and help them grow and hold their hands and support them from behind you know when some of the times it gets tough because it does get tough I think I've said the word tough quite a lot I think it's uh probably Challenge. a mirror to some of the big challenges we're facing because the world's pretty crappy right now right there's lots there's lots going on so um I think if you then ask me what my purpose is that wraps all of that up, I think it's about having uh, an optimism and helping people see potential through storytelling, through my network, through people, through getting them excited about the challenges that they have or the opportunities that they can grab for their business. So, yeah, maybe being a an optimism cheerleader. It's my purpose. I don't know. Optimism cheerleader. And I'm trying hard to get you to the point where you're saying fearless teams and center <laughs> of my purpose, creating and developing fearless teams for our customers and in our organization as well. However, you came back to the word tough challenges. Mm. The world is a bit crap right now. <laughs> yeah. However, I think I mentioned it to you a while ago. One of the key mentors that I um, had a pleasure to work with, he kept saying to me, the biggest crisis is, is a platform for the biggest possibilities. Yeah. And that's a part of, became a part of my DNA. So every time there's a crisis and people are moaning and there's a lot of, oh, it's also hard, I listen to it, I acknowledge it. And I'm not saying that it isn't, absolutely not, because we have to go through it and for some people it feels harder than for others. But I also see myself as a driver of, okay, how can we see possibilities? What options do I still have in the middle of that crapness? Yeah. You know, I think that's so, so important. And we can no, easily I, get caught up in this. No, it's all bad. There's nothing I can do. I think you're right. I think challenge forces you to step back because there's only so much energy you can put in one direction and a challenge sometimes you just have to stop and go right how could I do this differently how could I frame this in a different way and I think fearlessness is often associated with creativity right so creativity is about unlocking pushing thinking differently reframing something new but actually I think that sort of creativity can also be used to drive optimism it can be about more about the now it doesn't always have to be about the new so apply applying creative thinking and I think you know we were talking about this at work yesterday actually I think quite often sometimes innovation or change or disruption is most effective when you have constraints and in the sort of environment we're in at the moment there's a lot of constraints be them financial or geographic now with Brexit and all sorts of stuff going on those constraints give you guardrails and help you perhaps focus a bit more on how you can innovate either for the future or for the now 
So your, your push around fearless teams, yeah, I, I that's what I believe is my brand, right? I, I build those fearless teams and take those to those clients and lead them. But I think those fearless teams are people who are creative thinkers who can apply a different way of seeing the world to different different sizes and shapes of problems or opportunities. But they're also probably critical thinkers too, because I think innovation is about the beautiful moment when those two thought processes come together. So we, I'm looking out for those beautiful humans who can balance both and sort of do the storytelling in between, because that storytelling is really what clients are looking for. It's really what you rely on in those really big moments in your career where you're standing up in front of boards or execs to talk to them about their future. It's, it's storytelling. I was I was smiling for a moment, looking a bit cynical probably as well, because I'm with you. And yet I hear so often, no, I don't have time for storytelling. I just fluffy stuff. There's so much judgment on storytelling. <laughs> and yet it is so, so essential. How can people develop a motivation to tell stories more often and the ability to become maybe not the greatest storytellers, but better storytellers? Yeah, I think it's so important. Like, If you think about all of the really admired business leaders, most of them are great storytellers and have a very distinct style. You know, they don't have to be the greatest businessman, right, <laughs> or business person. I think storytelling is a discipline too, just as, as time management, <laughs> because every story has different content And every story has a different audience. And where I think storytelling fails is when people are lazy. You know, the same story that works over here is not going to necessarily work over there. So be generous to your audience and think about how that story is landing with them. Think about the right people to tell that story or the actors within that story. Um, a really good example of this more recently in my career is landing in a large organization where a lot of interaction with clients is done through the most senior people in the room. But due to the nature of some of the work that we do as an organization on innovation and growth and the new, we are talking to the same audiences, but we have a much flatter structure. And in fact, some of our most junior people on the team can be standing up giving presentations to a CEO or a board. And I think that's really, really important that people go through their career, not fearing that and learning the discipline of storytelling, knowing when to bring other people in, what stim to bring into the conversation and, and, and having a point of view, what good storytelling looks like. Hans, we need to give ourselves the space and the time to actually experience a few storytellers. And, and I remember you saying at some point to me, ah, I've never been a person to enjoy networking events and big conferences and so on. And yet you found some goodies in between. Right? I say that was actually fascinating. That was really cool to attend certain events, right? So sometimes what, what I heard there and what I took away from some of the chats was sometimes we have to give ourselves a slight push, but also be deliberate about, okay, what do we want to get out of these events and be more intentional about them? Yeah, well, we teach a lot of our clients about freshness. You know, we are, as we get more senior in organizations, we're sort of celebrated for being really reductive, risk adverse, fast, you know. And there's this weird thing now, isn't there, where people are celebrated by how back to back their diary is on Zoom calls. You know, it's really bizarre. Mm. I think there's that discipline of going, right, I need to take a fresh perspective, I need to be expansive about the topic or challenge myself or my biases um, and go and seek a different point of view. And yet it's another discipline. I think we're uncovering the sort of five deadly sins of uh, leadership here, aren't we? Third <laughs> 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 one is freshness. So forcing yourself to go to the newsstand and buy a different magazine on that train journey or ping somebody on your LinkedIn profile that you haven't spoken to for three years and go, hey, let's have a coffee. Like, just not the same person that you always go to the coffee shop with. Like, it is a discipline, definitely a discipline. And, and it's a habit change. Because once you got used to a certain way of being and acting and operating, well, 
A, you need to recognize that it might make sense to break something down and having those conversations helps. Yeah. And yeah. changing something and do something differently. And it doesn't have to be change everything. No, small steps, see how it pans out, what impact they have and, you know, and then do more. Um, it's fun, right? I think so. <laughs> it's fun. Everyone needs more fun in their day job, I think. If you're not having a bit of fun, it's really sad. But like even if it's just fun with your team, you know, in your in your project work, fun with a client, like going to a different place, you, you need a bit of that in your day job to really just give you the energy. And also, I think it's fuel for good storytelling. Yeah. Because it gives you those little nuggets of things and connections. You join the dots in a different way and make that conversation a bit more interesting. 200%. And at the same time, it has a beautiful side effect. The fun you create, the banter you create, the connections you therefore connect, uh, create lead to more openness. So, yeah. you know, if there's an elephant in the room, you call it out because there is more ease amongst the team. And that's mm -hmm. what you want as well. It feels safe. You talk about the tough stuff as well. But, you know, we can kind of deal with it together. 100%. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. And one of our core values is playfulness. Um, it, it has to be there. I want to come back to the fearless um, teams, yep. however, because you described already who these fearless individuals are. Now, there are two points I'm curious about, and I assume the listeners are curious about as well, because these are themes I hear quite often. The first one is, so how do I find these? It's really hard to find this talent in the market nowadays because people are risk averse or have loads of options and so on and so forth. And the second part is about, so how am I now going to nourish these teams and make sure that I give them a place where they are indeed feeling empowered, they grow and so on and so forth. And you gave us a few insights already, but perhaps we can go a little bit deeper into that space. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm going to protect myself and say, don't bother looking in my company for these people if you're looking for them. <laughs> stay away. <laughs> stay away. Stay away. Um, I think these people are everywhere, but I think they're in different levels of fearless maturity. Okay. And the reason why I say that is if you believe my analysis that fearlessness it comes from a real bedrock of creative thinking being able to think on your feet being able to reframe a situation be able to look in a new place for a different answer or have the humility to find the right people to help you solve it if you believe that some of those factors sit behind fearlessness I think everybody has it in them, but the muscles and the confidence in doing those things are at different levels for everybody, right? And, and I, I have to believe that because if you think when you have a situation in your life where perhaps it's, it's less than ideal, there's very few people in my work life I've ever turned to who haven't been able to help me in some way or not wanted to help me. Right. And connected me to somebody who they thought, oh, this person could really help you out. I can't, but this person really could. So I I believe people have the muscle there, but it's just not always well worked. Or they perhaps they don't have quite the right combination. So in our organization, when we bring in talent, we really try to nurture that. We really try to look at the growth areas. We try to put them in projects and squads where they can bounce and learn off of each other. And I think as a leader, my job is to role model some of the strengths and some of the things that I expect. And also sometimes create the right situations for people to learn. So, you know, I've done I've done some meetings more recently where I brought in some of the more junior members of my teams to support me on stuff because they get huge exposure to how I'm dealing with things or how other people in the team are dealing with things. And they put that in the bank and they start working on that muscle themselves. Yeah. So I do think everybody's out there, but it takes someone to nurture it. It takes the right situation. And I think. Not every organization really champions this. And I think that's a shame. 
I think some organizations really rewards that reductive behavior that we mentioned, you know. They reward people who look like everybody else or solve problems the way everybody else does. But I think the the real power and the real joy comes from when you have that diversity and you you, you have these people who you know can face in and solve challenges and have each other's backs. In terms of that nourishment point, I think some of that's in what I just said, but it's having realistic expectations for people and understanding their personality. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm quite extrovert. Not everybody in my team is extrovert. That's okay. They have their moments. So not trying to force people into a cookie cutter, helping them find their way, helping them storytell around it. We're um, in our organization really um, about to heavily go into performance achievement, and that's all about storytelling, right? So sort of helping them build those stories and take a step back and think, like, where was, where did I really lead? Where did I make a decision I wouldn't have normally made? When did I bring somebody in to a project that made a difference and help them recognize that in themselves? And I would add a point to organizations who may not necessarily have that culture. Um, I believe there are quite a few organizations who may not demonstrate that overall welcoming, diverse culture. There may still be a little bit of a tick box exercise in terms of we celebrate diversity, but it's not yet really a part of the DNA. However, as a talent, as a person maybe seeking a new challenge, I always found it very helpful not to let my bias lead me here too much because I can hear about certain reputation of an organization, but I still wanted to get to know the people in it. If there was just one part that created some curiosity on my end, I thought, oh, that could be a positive challenge. That's not something that would put me immediately off unless my value system is completely compromised. Obviously, there are boundaries um, yeah. or my ethical um, thinking and, and values. Yeah. But I always got to know people. And coming back to building networks and connections, I connected with them through LinkedIn. I got in touch. I had conversations, coffee chats, just to learn a little bit about, okay, what's the culture like in this environment? Where are you on your path? And who are the change makers you actually need um, along uh, the, this path to creating a wider shift? And I think you can learn a lot then from them and you can make a more conscious decision about as to whether that could actually be exactly the right place for you because you can be one of those change makers to help accelerate the progress. So so that's just something I really want you to think about for everybody who's listening. Um, Think about your own biases and and see how you can contribute because we need new thinkers in this business world. Yeah, I I agree. And you know, as as someone who's been through a few different acquisitions, something that stuck with me is just follow the love. Like there's there's people in an organization who want to change, right? Who perhaps need to bounce off of you to find the energy to or to find a different way. Like you can find small communities and groups with inside an organization that pull you in because they recognize that you can be a catalyst for either personal change or organizational change. And sadly, I think too many people focus on fighting where there's not love, right? Mm. Pushing into the wrong places. So again, it's about that taking a step back, really assessing what's in front of you and thinking like, where, who are my people? Where can I change? And and to a very well my point there, like I think there are pockets of those people in even some of the organizations that on paper you wouldn't ever want to go and work in. Now, you mentioned a couple of times that you create fearless teams for clients as well and uh, that you help them basically become a little bit more fearless. So what what does that look like in a more consultancy? I, I, I'm, I'm going to be bold and say a more traditional consultant um, environment um, or consultancy environment where clients may have a certain predefined picture and assumptions they bring to the table. And now you come into the game like a fresh pair of eyes and thoughts and behaviors and suddenly shift something there for them. So how do you turn them into fearless clients? Narrative and storytelling is one of the things you do, but what else? Yeah. As you were saying that story, you were saying that I was thinking, how long have I been doing this for? And I think I've been doing it in 
nudges and different ways across my career but it wasn't until I landed I think in what if about eight years ago where I really uh, honed this craft <laughs> so uh, what if was an innovation consulting firm that was set up 30 years ago by two really great guys who fell out of Unilever and some big sort of CPG organizations and said there has to be a different way of doing things and they created an amazing culture of some of the brightest individuals and real sort of focus on not just doing the innovation, but building the innovation cultures that are important underneath to make those innovations a success. And what, I'd always admired the company from afar. And when I was headhunted into a role there and landed there, it was like my dream job yeah. um, because it's creative, it's smart, it's got the brand name right the moment you walk through the door and you say I'm from what if I'm here to help you ask the what if questions you can start imagining the future and I think that is where it starts it helps with going in to clients and saying it's okay you know what you're trying to solve is tough but there's lots of options let's get excited about the opportunity that's out there first before we start thinking about the plan and the money and how it's going to work and all that sort of stuff, like immersing yourself in that art of the possible. But I think what what if really taught me, and it was really interesting doing this in the pandemic, because what if was a very creative in the physical presence. So workshops would be very highly curated you know, how the rooms were dressed, how the stim was put on the wall. I, I go to workshops now where there's music playing. It's amazing when you walk into a large corporate organisation and somebody's got their iPod or their iPhone plugged into the speakers in a boardroom, how surprised people are to hear music. It's about bringing consumers into the room and helping leaders connect with their real end customer not just a powerpoint that summarizes all of the points of view that a consumer may have had about a product or a business it's about that tangibility that making things tactile making things feel real and i think what if over the years has had an incredible reputation for sort of attacking strategy with the senses you know what you see what you feel what you hear in our um, old building we've now as part of a century we've moved into a, a a more of a group building but in our previous building the front entrance to the building where the clients arrived was called heart of house and there was a kitchen where everybody would sit and eat their lunch together and when clients had workshops they would sit around and eat together and have a discussion and I think it's those types of connections with the real world that sort of de-stresses strategy it makes those connections with your team it makes you feel like you have permission to think differently or spend a bit of time going down a rabbit hole because you think there's something there it's those types of things that I think I personally have put into my toolbox now and as my career moves on now we're part of Accenture and you know we're looking at how what if sort of permeates this large organization. It's those types of things that I think I'm going to carry on because I know that they make a difference. I don't know why, but I got a really tingly, almost emotional feeling when you were talking about it, and particularly the kitchen. Because I, I think I'm currently thinking a lot about belonging. Where do I belong? What does belonging mean to me? And it's strongly connected community. And the, the picture I had was indeed you build these very human natural connections with your customers as well, with your clients. And you move together on a completely different relatable level. And suddenly you are a part of their world and they are part of your world. And yeah. you can step into the problem solving completely from a completely different perspective and angle. 100%. You humanize everything. And, and I don't know how to explain it any better, but it feels needed and just so wonderful to me I love the fact you picked up on the human word so we very deliberately use the creation of human problems as a way to anchor innovation and I like this it appeals to me personally because I find a lot of innovation quite frivolous and particularly sort of the sort of chasing a unicorn Silicon Valley style of doing innovation right 
I think corporates have a real right to win if they can really focus and get good innovation disciplines. And we believe one way to do that is to help them frame the human problems that they, as a brand, as a business, have the right to solve. And I guess then my job is to help senior leaders get the fire in their belly to solve those problems because they're going to have to move things out the way. They're going to have to stop business as usual in some places. They're going to have to fight for the investment. They're going to have to capture something that my good colleague, and I love this phrase, it's it's stuck in my mind the moment he said it to me, our clients have to fight for corporate patience around innovation because innovation isn't always measured on the same things that the BAU business is. And people can get worried and they can get risk averse and they can want to try and squash innovation to try and protect the core. And your role as a senior leader in growth and innovation and in anything new is about capturing that corporate patience and making sure they stick with it till the end. And I love that as a, as a framing because it's very human. It's understanding those different journeys. I'm going to nick that one and take it with me when I meet a leadership team that consists of very impatient leaders who want to be innovative, who want to embrace diversity, but the pace is just constantly getting in the way, the lack of patience in particular. So I believe they have to believe the human problems that their business has the right to solve. They have to believe those. And you, you can't just do that with research and insight. You have to storytell around it. You have to make it real. So hence the sort of immersive experiences that I've learned at What If. And then it's about connecting them to that story and taking them on that journey. So they want to keep removing all those barriers to solve those problems. I know I've done my job really well when a CEO or a CMO stands on the stage, pulls up the initial insight and says, I'm doing this for this mm. insight, this person. I heard this in a session and now I'm compelled to do something about it. And this is what we're going to do. I really know I've done my job when that happens. I know I'm asking this question a little bit late, but I I remember a while ago you saying um, so many organizations speak about innovation and there are functions of innovation, teams for innovation. But for me, it's about an activity. It's to innovate. So what does innovate, innovation mean to you, actually? Yeah, I, I, I think innovation is a few things. I think it's a discipline. It's a discipline of using a set of tools and behaviors to find an answer to a hypothesis, right? And that hypothesis isn't always new. I think innovation has become sort of decoded in today's world for new businesses and sort of new propositions that are new to the world, but actually sometimes they're not new to the world, but really new to an organization and can be about innovating from a process or an asset. It's sort of just a a reframing. So by nature, there's a set of humans in my belief in the world that have those skills and know how to use those tools and pull them together really successfully. So I do believe it's a discipline. Those humans then sort of sit in structures. So businesses decode innovation in very different ways. So they set up labs or accelerators or incubators or variety, those different things. And for every business, the combination of those things is very unique if done well, right? When it's done badly, it's looking left and right, looking at competitors and sort of me too is driving the strategy. But I think innovation is about understanding the aims of the business, the challenges, and creating the right structures in order to be able to solve them. And we're in a period at the moment in business consulting where innovation is a bit of a buzzword, right? Everything is decoded as it. People are rebadging themselves innovators Mm -hmm. um, because people are really looking for a new way to face into all of this disruption. So Mm -hmm. I think it's not a surprise that innovation has probably least amount of clarity that it's ever had. And our job, I guess, as innovation consultants is to reclaim that, right, and storytell around how to do it really well. Amanda, you have shared so many amazing insights nuggets with us. However, what's one last piece of insight or advice that you want to share with the listeners? 
I think we can go back to my LinkedIn banner, can't we? Which is, uh, if you're not spending your life doing strange things with weird people, then you're probably not living your potential. You're probably not having enough fun at, at work. And you're probably not bringing thinking that you should be bringing into your everyday life. So why not? And it's fun. Yes. I'm going to take that with me into the weekend and the next week. I'm going to seek out some weird and strange people and situations. I'm being one of them, I think. And have a bit of fun. Thank you so, so much, Amanda. Before I let you go, can you share with the listeners where they can find you and how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me. It's usual linkedin.com slash Amanda Squires. You'll see me there, probably with random posts about what I found interesting that day. So if you love a bit of randomness or you can't be bothered to create the internet, I think that's one of my other purposes in life is to create all the good stuff from the internet. But also in my in my agency, in, in What If um, and Accenture. So I think this, the, the, the fastest way is to look me up on LinkedIn and say hi. And I would highly encourage you to do that. Amanda, as you may have noticed in her stories here today, is replying and getting back to you. And there's so much more she can share and tell and loves a bit of connection as well. So go for it. Amanda, thank you so, so much for being here with us today. It's been a real pleasure and have a wonderful weekend. You too. I can't wait to see the pictures of you uh, doing strange things with weird people. (laughs) Haha, <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> and thank you all for listening today. Have a wonderful weekend, week, whenever you're listening to this show. Speak to you again next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.